What's up, everyone? This is Justin Gordon from Vitalize Venture Capital, and welcome to Talking Venture, a show where you'll learn how to build and invest in startups, featuring interviews with startup founders and operators, angel investors and venture capitalists, as well as deep dives into a variety of aspects of the startup world from the team here at Vitalize. On today's episode, we have Amanda Duamaro, an educator, activist, and co-founder of Fiveable, a social learning network for students. Amanda spent half a decade teaching high school history in Oakland, where her passion for creating equitable educational opportunities was ignited. Amanda has been a vocal advocate for inclusive history curriculum and is active within the Milwaukee tech community. Let's dive in. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to share your story. Tell us more about what you're doing at Fiveable. And for people who aren't familiar today, what are you doing at Fiveable? A whole lot. We are essentially building social learning spaces so that young people who are learning the same thing at the same time can find each other. And one of the things that was just announced a week ago on your blog was Serena Williams invested. And I remember watching an interview of yours that was maybe two years ago talking about, can't wait till we get some like bigger people on board, some names and everything. And then I literally just saw this a week ago. I was like, wait a minute, there it is. Like, take me through that. How'd that come about? How you feel about that? Yeah. In general, having investors like from the beginning that, you know, have conviction in what you're building is, is like such a cool milestone to reach because you're, you build this up in your head, you have this idea and and to have other teammates, to have other people, you know, put time and money behind it is, is incredible to have those people be like <laughs> famous people that I've looked up to <laughs> is even more incredible. We Chelsea Clinton invested last uh, in the last round. And like, I remember the first time I was pitching her, I just was like, <laughs> just so nervous. And, but it, but it, she's just like such a cool person. And so, that, you know, it's the same thing. And so it's just been really awesome to have them back us. Yeah. And that's one of those things you mentioned that too. I think about the people I've interviewed uh, previously from other other show. And I think about how, yeah, you have that first interview with someone who's like a bigger name. You're like, oh my gosh. And then, then you're done. You're like, okay, like that was fine. You know, I can do this. It's no big deal. And then it just becomes more like second nature for you then with taking a step back here with Fiveable, how did this get started in the first place, Amanda? Yeah. So I was a teacher right out of college. I taught ninth and 10th grade history in Oakland for five years and really loved my classroom, loved my students, loved teaching, but I just got really burnt out as a teacher because I think burnout is when you're super passionate about something and you just cannot make a difference in it. You just keep hitting walls. And that's what I felt. I just could not scale the difference I was making to the school, to the district. And it just got to a point where I was like, I got to, I got to take a step back. I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I'm going to go adventure out there and see, (laughs) see what's what else is out there. And after I did that, some of my former students, maybe halfway through that next school year started emailing me and we're like, Ms. D you got to help us. We're all going to fail this AP US history exam. Our teacher is not teaching like you did. And it's complete panic. I was now across the country and just thought, of course, like, let me help them. So I just started live streaming from them from my bedroom, which then was novel um, back in early 2018. But that is really the beginning of Fiveable. It really, it came out of a need from my former students that then as a teacher, I started to really think about what is this problem that I'm actually solving for, for them? And how else can we solve it in a way that we can actually make a really big difference. Um, it's that, you know, that scale that I wanted to hit as a teacher that I didn't even really understand what I was you know, like yearning for. Uh, I think I was able to really experience that in, in the early, in the early stages of Fiveable. And now, especially now as we've like really reached so many more students. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that we have so many like parallels in some ways. Because when I was uh, training clients, I was a personal trainer out of right out of college and actually in college, I was training clients and I was realizing, you know, I may work with 30 clients or 40 clients in a week, but I'll never be able to impact more lives than that if I don't do something else. And so when I started blogging more and creating more content around that, then I was realizing like, I got random messages from people in different states being like, oh, this is so helpful. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, like leveraging the scale of the internet there's so many possibilities when it comes to educating people and teaching people. And that's why I reached out to you. I was like, Oh, I have to talk to Amanda about what she did. And from that experience. And so going from that though, you realize like you just want to help these 
former students, like you're going to live stream pretty easy. But at what point does that come to your mind? Like, Hey, like this could be an actual, a much bigger thing, a, a venture back startup even like, when does that come into play, Amanda? Yeah. Th- those early months were interesting because the, the first moment that I realized I, I was doing something that was even bigger than I had even imagined. I had spent a few weeks kind of understanding a little bit more about the creator space and like, you know, live streaming and building up any content like that online was not a skill that I built as a teacher. It was something that I kind of found out about later. And I just remember thinking like the runway of things I can learn is massive. And I just found myself like tinkering in my room through the night. Just, I just couldn't, I couldn't focus on anything else. I just was, I was sparked in a way that I hadn't been in a long time. And I was working on a congressional campaign at the time. And I, I made this decision. I had no idea what I was really building yet. It was not (laughs) fiveable, but I was so fired up about what I was doing. And I I decided that if I went a hundred percent into something, I wanted to take that chance on myself. I didn't want to give a hundred percent to that candidate or to anybody else. I wanted to just like take a shot on me and invest in me. And so I I quit the campaign. I ended up moving back home with my mom in Maine and just sort of hunkered down. I had no plans. I didn't even know what I was getting (laughs) myself really into. I just, I just, I don't know. There was something in me that just was like really fired up and I loved what I was doing. And so I just thought, let me just go full force at this and see what happens. And that was the point where I was thinking, okay, if my students needed help, other students need help. And so I started sharing links to the live streams on Reddit and on different social channels and building up content. I created content on YouTube and (laughs) I started reaching out. And so then as soon as there were like, there was, there was this group of students from Dubai, they were waking up at 5am to watch my streams. And I was like, clearly there's something special here and I need to figure out how to harness it. What is the magic and how do I build a business around it? And that took a lot of learning and I didn't really think of myself as a startup for probably a few more months after that. Um, But it, it's like a whole world opened up to me that I just didn't even know existed. Well, let's talk to the, those early days in terms of that growth then, you know, going from your students to people finding all over because you're, you're posting links. So what was that, you know, what were you doing at the time? So just trying to post it every time you were, were you had a live stream, you're like, hey, let's just share this out as many places as we can. Oh, we're getting more and more numbers. Like take me through that early growth stage till that point where we'll get to eventually of you raising money as well. Yeah. So the what became Fiveable we think of our birthday as April 6th in 2018. So it was a few months before that, that I was working on creating content for AP world history. Cause that was what I had taught. And so I just was like kind of becoming a YouTuber, uh, which was really fun. And I was like yeah. building all this content. I was, I was streaming for my students, but I, I, it didn't click for me yet that like that was part of the magic and that just connecting students to each other is what I did well. And so in that early April, that's when it really transitioned into, into Fiveable. It also went to Fiveable because I was like, there are other subjects than history. I'm going to have to make space <laughs> for, for them and learn them. And I, I, I kind of got into some like you know, understanding no code tools. Like I'm not a developer. Um, I realized some of the different pieces. I just was learning a lot. I was like consuming so much information and trying to figure out how do I, how do I sell something to people I've never met? How do I message this? How do I build a website that like explains what I do? How do I get people to trust me? Um, And so I, that, those were some of the early challenges is like, you know, I was, I'm a nobody. Who am I? Like, how do I, I don't have testimonials yet. How do I get these students to trust that I can actually help them? And it just took, it's, you know, that's where like you do things that don't scale sort of thing. Um, But those, those were the first few hoops. And as people started paying for things, then you realize like, there's a business here. If I can sell one, I can sell in infinite numbers. Yeah. 
what were you charging for? What was the product service at the time when you first started like doing that then? It essentially was a cram series. It was a cram. It was a, it's not actually funny enough. It's not that different from what we sell now. We were, I think some of those early instincts were very right in how we set up the the product and, and what exactly what students were buying. It's evolved a lot too. And we've tried out a lot of other things too, but those early days, yeah. it was, look, you got an AP world exam in May. I had, we have 10 weeks or however many weeks we had where I'm going to go through every unit to cover everything you need to know before the test. And the day before the test, we'll have a whole marathon review together. And so I, I was charging, I think then I was charging like $40, but I, the deal was like a lifetime, whatever else I sell, you get access to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so that was, that was what we did. And that's, that's just, it's similar to what we do now. We don't have a lifetime deal anymore, but that was, those were good days. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I mean, that's, that's right. huge to get those first like paying customers. I mean, that's everything. And especially like, look at the past businesses I've started. It's the same thing. It's like getting those first customers to validate like, those first few that pay you. Like it's a magical thing. Even if it's like a small amount, it's so magical to be like, wait a minute, this could be a possible thing. And like, you gives you that, that kind of that hope, especially if you're your first time founder, it's like, you don't know necessarily if this is going to be something that's valuable. And obviously, you know, your students wanted it, but would someone pay for it? It's a different thing too. And that's something I want to get into uh, in, in a bit about the payment. But first, I want to go back to that. You're staying in your mom's place, convincing people to join you in the Fiveable house. Talk me through that, that blog post <laughs> I read. Like, I, I have to know more because I'm so curious about it. How'd that happen? Yeah. So fast forward, I had gone through a, an accelerator and moved in Utah. I did Beta Boom that summer in that, the really early days. And then yep. kind of going through the accelerator, I'm like, I'm going to raise money at the end. Uh, everything is going to work out for me. And it did not in that moment. Like those early investors were <laughs> were really not uh, pre-seed investors. That was like looking back, that was the mistake. I also only yeah. had a few pitches and just in my head, I'm like, this will be, it'll be easy. I'll, you know, I have the meeting, I'll get there. And everyone kind of looked at me and said like, this is cool. Keep going, you know? And so I had to make the decision then to move back to Maine, which at that point felt like, a, it felt like my first like failure of like, I'm not making it as I thought I would. It feels like I'm moving backwards. It ended up being really powerful for me to do that. But I still, the, the folks from Beta Boom around October uh, invested in an additional 20K. And I had this decision. This was really not the first time, but the first big moment where I had to decide I have this really risky option and I have a, a more safe option. 20,000 at that point could get me through the school year. I could support the part-time teachers who were working with me. I could keep living with my mom and barely make it myself, but we could make it. I could stretch it. Or I could try to find other people that could work for us and maybe we make it 10 times faster. And I, I really had no idea how I would do that because $20,000 is not enough to actually hire people. And so <laughs> then I thought, okay, if I go that, that path, how can I be creative in, how, in finding that early team? And so I took a page out of that campaign that I was working uh, on. And actually I had done this before too, but essentially on the campaign, they had a group of us who were living in a house. They paid for the house and we, we were there for like three months and we like were part of the program and it was kind of a wild offer. And <laughs> they knew that it was like this crazy thing that they did. And I was like, I wonder if I could do the same thing. Like if I could get people to move into a house with me, I'll pay the rent. None of us are paying ourselves yet, but maybe we can get there. Maybe we can build it together. Um, and so, and also I didn't, I needed to leave my mom's house. I was getting to a point where I was like, it's time to leave the nest. So yeah, it's fair. I, I just, I wrote, I, I pitched the crazy idea to those first advisors from beta boom. They were like, that's insane. But if anyone can do it, probably you. So like worth a shot. And so I put up the blog post and uh, Tan, who is my co-founder now saw it on Reddit applied, moved in two weeks later, and we still live together today. So the lesson I learned is that people will buy into your mission and your vision and, and you as a person. 
And in the early days, like that's the thing you have to sell them on. It can't be the anything else. It's not the perks or the salary. It's like, you're joining the trenches with me and you have to really believe what we're doing is right. Yeah. And being on the investor side of it and seeing that and getting pitches and everything as well, you know, we want that, obviously that narrative has has to be tight around like, what are you building? Why are we investing in this? And then that team side of it, it's like, to that point, you're able to convince people to join you in this house is like a huge step in, okay, you can convince other hires later on to join you because especially people who are talented, who are A players, they have options. Like they can work at multiple companies. They can work in all different industries, probably make a lot more money than a startup. Why are they working with you? And like being able to showcase that is like such a huge thing for investors on our side. They'd be like, oh yeah, like like Amanda, like she's going to do things. Like she can do this. One of the things I want to go back to though, like even before all this, I kind of glossed over it, but I'm curious about it. You moved out, out of the state for beta boom to join this accelerator. How many other accelerators were you looking at? Why beta boom? Like how, why even accelerator? Like I want to know more about that. So in, in the first few months when I was at my mom's house, my, my parents had a, a business when I was growing up and my grandparents had businesses. There was always entrepreneurship, but never at this scale. And so I was very much in a world that my mom was like, you know, trying to support me as much as she could and is has always been, I think of her as like my senior advisor at this point. Um, but we would we would actually watch Shark Tank together. And she would pause it to whatever, you know, Cuban asked and say, like, can you answer that? And I would do my best and I couldn't usually. And then I would run up back upstairs and work on some new, you know, projections or plan. And so that that was what something we did together. And in that process, I was Googling a lot, right? Like just trying to figure out what were those words that he just said? What what is this thing that I have to figure out? In Googling, I literally just got a Google ad for Beta Boom. And I, I remember this moment. I was sitting on this couch, on the couch in our living room and I looked at my mom and I was like, did you know that I could actually access investors? And she was like, no, like, I don't know. I don't know this space. And I just had no idea. I just, I saw Shark Tank and I saw, you know, Silicon Valley. I had no idea that I could actually pitch someone, that someone would invest in the company that I was building. And that moment changed everything because then, then I started Googling about accelerators. Then I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's a whole world out there. So many of them. I started applying to, I think at that point I only applied to a few. I applied to generator funny enough, which comes back later. I I applied to YC, which I was in no way prepared for. And I applied to beta boom and to this day, I honestly, sometimes I don't know exactly what it was that got that shot for Beta Boom, but I think they just saw, like, she's going to figure it out. The passion is just, like, there, and, like, something will happen from this. Hearing that, I mean, again, on the investor side, like, just hearing that, like, okay, someone like you, so someone like Amanda, like, a talented, has this great idea, you're going to crush it, like, didn't know about accelerators. It was, like, obviously such a huge gap in terms of of knowledge or like what is possible on the funding side. And like, you, we've heard this story over and over again, underrepresented founders being able to do more with less, like repeatedly. And like, there's so much talent out there, like all across the country, all across the world, that if you don't know about the sources of capital or the like accelerators and things, like you're just missing out on something, but it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so hearing that, it's just like, I want to help spread the word too on things like accelerators or things like, you know, VC or angels, because a lot of people didn't know, like being from Milwaukee, like, I didn't really know about venture capital until I got like my MBA. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, I started like really getting my MBA at USC and then talking to founders uh, that were venture backed to learn more about the ins and outs of it. But that's like, that was 20 something years in my life. So it's like so many other people in that same position who have an idea, try to bootstrap, maybe it doesn't work. And that's it for them where really they could have been potentially a venture scalable business. And that that's so interesting to hear that. And what yeah. crazy Google ads to get a beta boom. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, insane. Like, <laughs> a paid ad changed my life, <laughs> but that's insane. To that Take point. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, go ahead. As I studied education in college, I went this path of like, I'm going to become a teacher. I became a teacher. I was, I only knew teachers I, I think a lot about teachers because education is is this space that like needs so much work. There are problems to be solved for students, parents, teachers, admins, schools, districts, across the board. 
And a lot of the people that work in that environment really don't have a connection to what actually happens in tech. They, they don't necessarily, they aren't coders, more, more likely than not. They don't know no yeah. code tools. They don't necessarily know this, these spaces, but they could be creating these amazing solutions. And, and I, I think about them a lot, mostly because in the last few weeks, I think this school year has really been the last straw for a lot of people. In the last few weeks, there's so many teachers that are just like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I just think a lot about that. And I think about other industries like that, to, to your point exactly. You only know what you know and how, how many amazing solutions are out there, amazing founders are out there that just have not tapped into that yet. They just don't even know that they can or that it's even there. So I think yeah. we try to approach it through students, but there's, there's work to be done for sure. Yeah. And to that point, like there's just so many people who have a specialty expertise like teaching or like an, uh, anything else where it's like, wait, if you combine that with understanding of the tech and the things that we're, we're, we're seeing now, the possibilities are endless. And like I was just talking to this morning, the founder of Code Academy, who uh, started this massive things with tens of millions of, of learners now learning code. And, like they're not trying to do boot camps, not trying to do anything else. They have like a, a reasonable price point to get people to that next step, whether it be upskilling or whether it be career switching potentially. But it's like you you learn that when you have the tech side and you combine that with the education piece, a lot of magic can happen, but you're not seeing both sides of it from all the founders because they don't even know it's a possibility, which is why I'm chatting with you today. I want to learn more about how, you, how you've done it. And you mentioned Generator. Where did that come into play? I had talked to Eric Martel previously in a different podcast. He used to be the uh, managing director of Generator Minneapolis. He went through Generator for his company. Tell me about Generator and your experience, Amanda. Yeah. So when I had decided to to create that first fiveable house, we moved to Philly and within weeks we were out of money. <laughs> I mean, just like <laughs> it happened so much faster than I thought it would. We were we would go to like the the canned food aisle and be like, you know, pick something. And yeah. uh so we had to really figure out at that point, like how do we keep going? You know, how do we make more sales or how do we get investors and I, I really had to deal with that like kind of chicken and egg problem then of you got to build a business to get investors, but we need capital to build a business. And so I had decided to apply to a couple of accelerators, even though I had I knew I had done one. I just really didn't have a way into like angels and I really didn't know how to navigate pre-seed. I felt really removed from it all, but I knew that an accelerator could help. I mean, that, that $100,000 was huge and we needed the network. And so I applied, we went through the interview process and got in. And it was like this, it was another moment of just, I don't know, felt like a mixture of luck and timing and a lot of hard work that just like kind of paid off. And uh, that, that one program was in Madison in Wisconsin. I had never been to Wisconsin before until I flew out to pitch live. And um, I hadn't even at that point met my CTO in person yet. We had met the first time <laughs> during that pitch, um, which the people from Generator didn't know then, but they know now. And we just decided to do it. And so we, we broke our lease in Philly and packed everything we had into my car and moved out to Madison and just kind of went all in on that. And that really helped. That really helped us actually like move accelerate us right like we a lot of the investors that did invest in our in our pre-seed round came from those connections even though it still took me another seven ish months to to get that round closed those folks were people i met through generator and it kind of kicked off a lot of those relationships that are still really important today yeah, the power of an accelerator, I mean, it's, it goes without saying why people want to get into it. Obviously, it's capital is one part of it, but really the, that network. And I've talked to people from who've gone through Generator, who've gone through YC, Techstars, and it's that same thing. Again, back to that point of first-time founders or people who just don't have those networks. Like, how do you build a network much faster? And you build a network much faster if you go through a program like that um, in terms of getting that, that access to capital that is helpful for you. And in that program itself though. So take me through some of the things in terms of, of growth with the company in that, or like, you know, working with your CTO fine. Like tell me about that aspect of it as well on Generator. Yeah. So we were a team of four at that point. Three of us 
were in the fiveable house. And so we moved, we just moved the fiveable house to Madison. And then Austin, who was our CTO then was our, was in Chicago. So we were close that those, uh, what was it? 12 weeks of the program were some of the like wildest weeks. We, the way that their program works is that you meet a lot of people very fast. It's a lot of like almost speed dating of like mentors, investors, um, their, their hypothesis is really kind of a shots on goal. Like the more people you meet, the more chances you are to like, get, get further. It happened to be at the same time as the AP exams. So we did everything at the same time. We were meeting with all these people, building the new pitch deck, creating, you know, strategy and learning from the the cohort, but also executing on our first full cram season with seven subjects and i mean nobody slept for just like two weeks straight it was like it was it was wild i mean it was just a completely wild experience but cram seasons for us are, are huge and so we we went from my first year my first cram season by myself i taught 2500 students that next year in during generator we taught 25,000 students. And so it just, it just jumped really fast. And it was, it was a lot, but it was, it was really like, we learned a lot really fast. (laughs) Okay. Going from, from that experience then. So I remember talking to uh, Zuleika Strassner from Zero, and she, I think took like 10 months to raise her round as well for, for Zero Grocery. We eventually invested them um, at, at Vitalize as well. But 10 months is a long time. I mean, eight to 10 months, somewhere in that range is a long time. And you just mentioned how, you know, you took seven months or so after generator to really close that round. Take me through that process. You got past the cramps season then with, with the craziness of, of generator as well. But then after that, raising your round, especially for other founders who haven't raised capital and trying to raise a pre-seed round, take me through how that kind of came together for you, Amanda. Yeah, that, that stretch of time was maybe one of the hardest times at Fiveable because we, that you know, a hundred thousand from generator goes quick. Um, you know, the we weren't making revenue enough to get to a point where we could really move forward. We also like needed to start paying ourselves. We were we had kind of hit our own limits and how long we could we could stretch it. Yeah. And 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 we had teachers, and so we had we had decided to to expand how many subjects we were supporting, and so we had had more teachers who were working part time. Um. I was, I had built up a whole round that summer right after generator. I had every, I had it going and we were going to raise 600,000 and then it fell apart. The lead investor, you know, things changed, other people changed, everything just fell apart, like right kind of overnight. And it, that was like a devastating moment. Like I remember just like walking around this neighborhood, just like in just shambles, just thinking like, how am I ever going to keep it going? The thing that kept me going actually was, that very first year I had, because I had sold these lifetime like subscriptions, I could not get out of my head that there were students who were expecting Fiveable to still exist. And if it didn't, they would think that I lied to them, which I just like was never trying to do. And so there was, there was this, this little thing for me that I was like, it, ha- it has to exist. Like they're expecting it. We have to find a way. And so I, I had to call staff and, and not pay people for, you know, a couple weeks or months on end. We just kept trying to push the, you know, push on things of like, how do we get, how do we make this happen? We found our very first angel investor who did invest and really like helped bridge that those few months a little bit. And then eventually it got to a point where we did have a lead, who, which was Northwestern Mutual uh, in, in Milwaukee. And that one, that one commit. Now all these other people who I've been building relationships with were like, "All right, well, if they're in, we're in. We're, let's do it." And so then we were able to put together that that six hundred thousand round and close that right before New Year's. And it was like, I mean, we had like a, less than a couple thousand in the bank by the time the the money like actually hit. We were mm-hmm. days away from just like I don't know how to keep going. Um, so. It was wild and the as soon as as soon as it ended, I still was like, now we gotta figure out how to do it again. Like you know, like <laughs> you gotta keep going. Now, now how stop. do we spend it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I get so I've asked a lot of people before. It's like, okay, 
raising capital. Are you doing that for the first time? Great. But you've also probably never had $2 million to spend. You know, it, so it's like, how do you think about that as well? And obviously in that whole process of fundraising, you're knowing what the you know use of capital is going to be and everything. But it's one thing to know that and then not sure if you're going to close. And then like, then you close and then it's like, oh, well, now we're executing this plan, yeah, which is a whole different thing. <laughs> it, both rounds that we've raised, I feel like the day after the round, you you feel this massive relief, of course. The money has hit the bank. This is real. We've closed it. We did it. But then I don't know that I've ever been more stressed out than like those two days because of that exact reason. Because then it's like, I didn't... $20,000 when I first raised that sounded like an unbelievable amount of cash, like to keep going up. Like I didn't know how to, it, it's exactly what you're saying. Like you, you have these ideas of how you're going to use the capital, but it's not real until it's real. And then you are like, what if I mess it up? Now there's all these other people that are actually invested in this. It's not just me and, you know, a few other students. It's there's capital involved. There's people involved. Now we got to salary ourselves and hire people and, now we're going to run out. Now I can see a runway. I, I should have raised more. And now I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, it's like there's so many expectations then, right? I mean, that's the thing that comes along with the money. It's not just, hey, here's here's $2 million, Amanda. Go ahead. It's like with the expectation that this is going to grow. We know we like what you're doing, but this needs to go into X. We need to hit these milestones for the next round. And that's something that, yeah, it's it's, it's tricky. It's it, it's like not obviously easy, and it's not something that especially if you haven't been there to stomach that. It's it's crazy. And I think about how you know we hear these valuations and these fundraises on like, TechCrunch or whatever over and over again. It's like yeah, ten million dollars, five million dollars, twenty million dollars, and just get numb to it. But then when you actually think about it, like someone who's a first time founder, especially, it's like yeah, here's a couple million dollars if you grow this business. You never have raised capital before. It's like, that's crazy. Like, I still think that I've I've never been venture back myself in my own companies. I've always bootstrapped. So when I think about it from that perspective, it's like, that's wild to think about having that and then actually like trying to execute on that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, It's really stressful. And I think that those days are times when you really need friends who are also founders that you can call because you can't, it's not like you're, comp- there's no complaining, right? There, It's like you are so endlessly excited and happy to be at that stage to have unlocked that next, you know, you unlock that capital, you did it. But it's hard to then, that's when you can feel really lonely because then you are the one on the team that's also really stressed out about how, what to do with it. And, and it's hard to talk to your investors about that. It's hard to talk about that with your just non-founder friends because they're mm-hmm. like, but, but isn't this a good thing? And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is a great thing. But there's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with it. And so you've got to have people around you too that you can talk to that just get it, that know that that's, it's the best day and it's a really stressful day too. And like how to then, it's, it's imposter syndrome, right? It's like navigating all these different feelings. And so you just need people in your corner that you can you can just be really honest with about that. Yeah, so many founders again that I've talked to, it's the same thing. They they get found other founders in their corner, have meetings. Again, that meeting today with with Zach from Code Academy, he's talking about he has like a, a weekly chat with one, another one of his founder friends, and then he has like a monthly get together with a bigger group of founder friends because again, like you need that support from people who get it, people who are going through, especially at the same stage as you, is super helpful. It's like a combination of people in the same stage and people a little bit farther along with you. Like it's so helpful to have that. And and from that perspective, though, so you've. You raised a couple million dollars uh, late last year. You, met, you announced to Serena Williams and Serena Ventures, like her investing as well. So raised around $4 million or so. Gotten to 600,000 students now, though. That's impressive. That was last month. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, take me through that growth in the last year or so. Yeah. What's fueled that growth for you guys? For us, we we really started out focused on AP because that's what I taught and that's what my students had needed. And I think in the first few years, you know, obviously we were really like managing the the stress of raising those, those early rounds. But I think since January, 2020 is when we really like, okay, now we have some money, we have backers, like now we're doing it. Uh, we really decided, okay, we, let's, let's double down on AP. Like let's really prove this out with AP. There's 20, there's, 36 subjects, we were doing seven. 
there's more to more work to do here. <laughs> let's yeah. create the actual like program that we can sell. And then let's also build a machine of acquisition. Like how do we meet students where they are in a, in a, a way that can still be affordable for us? Like this was something we had started back when we really had nothing but for us, it was about creating content and building on SEO and knowing that young people are Googling their homework. They're all doing that. They're, they're on social, they're on YouTube. And so how do we lean into those behaviors to then really fuel the growth? And that's, it takes a lot of time. SEO is a strategy that a lot of, a lot of founders think about and way less founders actually do it because it's not something you can see the results of overnight. But for us, it's it's definitely been a huge piece of our puzzle because we've been able to, I mean, it took us a long time, but we, we created study guides for every unit of every AP subject. We have a whole team of students and teachers who build that content. Um, and, and the community itself, it's just sort of like, it's, you know, a lot of work to like build that trust and build those spaces. And you, eventually get to a point where then they're all telling their friends about it and <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at now and so now we're sort of on the cusp of our fourth grand season and expecting just a lot more than six hundred thousand students next month <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure that number will jump tremendously and i want to dive into that that content piece again because that's something where I, i've been creating for so long and thinking about that constantly and again thinking about the entrepreneurs i've talked to who are in that same space who decided to go the SEO route. I mean, that's something that can take six, eight, 10 months before you're really seeing much traction from that. Was it a matter of a, you just saw that as really the only option based on what the students were doing and that you needed to do, or how did you think through that or any alternatives that would you could have possibly done besides the SEO kind of focus? We first started that strategy back in the winter of 2018, like in like December, right when I was doing like first launch the Fiveable House. And the reason why I did it was because I really wanted to meet students where they are. And I knew that they were all Googling their homework. I, I did not want to go the route of selling to schools. And I didn't really want to work with schools at all because I had left that, right? Like I didn't, I left it and I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like the school systems were blockers in a lot of ways to resources and you know this is not a knock on every school of course but like it's just it's a, it's a tough space and so it in that initial decision of like go to schools go to students I was like I'm going to students students are more fun I can find them um, and SEO you know with AP I could create a lot of content I could just sit down and write and I could learn how to do it and Tan, who who is my co-founder, knew SEO, and so he, being one of the first one of the first people that joined, it's like I had taken us from you know maybe zero to like 0.5 in the SEO journey, <laughs> and then he took us to ten, and then we brought on another person, you know, a year later, LG, that took us to a hundred. I mean, it takes a lot of work to to do it, and it takes a lot of content, a lot of optimizing, a lot of strategy, but we we just felt like that was going to bring the the users that we wanted that we could we could build the business that we wanted and that strategy fit really well into what we where, where we wanted to go and I, I want to double click on that because for other founders who are you know interested in going this route, you mentioned there's obviously some complexities and taking it to from point five to ten or a hundred and then you know and beyond. What are some of those things? I'm happy to get into the gritty details. I'm really curious about this that go into that SEO strategy, producing that content because that is a lot of content. Like I'm curious on some some things that you've taken away that have been helpful for you to do. It's that. a lot of it's a lot of content. I mean, so the the three pillars that I, I essentially talk about whenever I'm supporting other founders in this too. The first is you you have to identify the content that you you want to target those keywords. You have to really understand like who are the people that you want to attract and what are they searching. And of those keywords, which ones can you actually target? Which ones are are competitive and which ones are are more low-hanging fruit? And and then it's about actually creating the content to meet those keywords. And the content itself has to be awesome. Like you have to really understand like what when a student Googles this, what are they gonna see? And how do I create something that's 10 times better than that? 
And then, and then there's all the like technical optimization of that, like your website itself, the speed of it, the, the way that the, the piece of content itself is structured and the URL and there's all, that's where I kind of, I was like, okay, I know students are studying AP world have to get through these units. I have this list of units. I can write these unit reviews. Now I'm stuck. (laughs) So that's where I hit my first wall. (laughs) Tan was like, I got this. You wrote 50, I wrote like 50 blog posts over that like Christmas break, just like, you know, and he was like, yeah. okay, I can optimize this. I can build this site. And then the last bucket is about like backlinks is like, you got to get people actually linking to you. You got to, you have to yeah. prove to Google that you are an authority in this, in this space. And so all those buckets are always a work in progress. We are constantly looking for new keywords, creating new content, re-optimizing and looking for people to, to link to things. Um, and that's that's what makes it really hard because you need someone that's like fully focused on it uh, to really yeah. make it happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I'm having done some of that before, and as I got more into that with the fitness company and the blogging, and I was you know learning more. Wait a minute, like if I actually target some of these keywords, it's a little bit better than before. And what are people searching? I figured out different ways to go about that. Sometimes it's like I found like celebrity workouts were actually an easy way to like target keywords and I could, I could win those. So I was ranking ahead of like men's health and men's fitness on like a lot of different workouts and stuff because you can look them up and then you kind of back into that and then look at their content that's make yours better and longer. And you're like, Oh, there you go. And then, yeah. So it's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think it's interesting to, to always hear those strategies because it can be so helpful for other founders. But one of the things too, that you mentioned, and I've seen on your website is this massive team of people around you, one being the core team, but also like the helpers and the advisors and like all of that. Okay. How do you manage that? Like, what does that look like in terms of them being on board and helping in what capacity? Cause like, as soon as I saw that page, my mind was just like twirling. I'm curious how you manage all that, Amanda. Uh, it's a lot of people. I, and I think to your point earlier of why those early investors invested, because they could, if I can convince people to live in this house, I can build this team. I think that that kind of played out pretty quickly. And I always, in the beginning, one of the things that I felt like was my competitive advantage was that I really understood students. I worked with students. I worked at a school. I I knew how they think, how they operate, how they behave, like what they actually do. And, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to hire all former teachers. And there's no way that we're all going to be able to spend time working in a school. So I just started hiring students. Because what I really wanted to be true was that everyone on my team worked directly with a high school student every single day. It's a it's a unique thing that we do um, because most people don't spend time working with 16-year-olds on their team. But it's huge for us because, one, it really connects every single person on our team to the student experience and, like, how they actually work. And it means that there's always a student in the room to help us make decisions, whether that's what, you know, sub domain should this be on or like it, how does this copy look or what product features should we focus on? They're part of every decision and it, it makes it that so that everyone on our team is also a leader. And that was huge because I also knew that we're going to scale the, the team there's going to be a lot of people. I can't manage all those people. And so we just now have a, a really like a really tight team structure where every person that works for Fiveable on our full-time, our full-time team is 19. All of them have interns that some of them have interns. Like all of <laughs> there's there's a lot of different like kind of hierarchies within that, but it's like, you know, there are 70 I think interns that work with us now there's 50 teachers there's the full-time team there's the part-time team so it takes a lot of folks to make it happen and you have to create the structure so that it's like not you that's in managing all those people I then get to work with a lot more of the investors or the mentors and then my leadership team and also making sure that everyone on my team also has mentors as well I like keeping the network really open. So, you know, a lot of those folks, they're like creating a little like kind of board of advisors for anyone that's on the team, right? Who are the people that you can go to that's not me that you can get help from? And so it's just, 
I think we just really like leaned into the the people and the the ways that we like bring people into what we're doing. Yeah, and it reminds me of like having like yeah, you have a you have a mentee basically below you, you have your, your partners and you also have mentors. Like all, all three levels all kind of matter and they think they're important for different ways for you to be able to obviously direct people around but also get help from people who are in the trenches with you but then get that kind of higher level someone who has maybe done it before or just has a different perspective as well to help you grow your business. And one of the things too, one of the last things here I know we're getting out of time is just looking at building in public and like essentially you blogging about some of the things you've done over the past uh, couple of years. And like, those have been critical for you to find people like your CTO, for instance, how has that impacted you? And why did you decide to, to do that, to like share your story as you're building the company? In the really early days, I was really afraid to talk about what I was doing because I had this thing in my head of like, when, when I'm successful, I'll let everyone know what I've done. And I think that's common that, and I, mm-hmm. I hear it from founders a lot when, cause I always tell people like start an email list and just let people in your life know what's, what went well and what didn't go well and what you need help with. And I always sense, you know, people are hesitant because they're like, well, let me get to this milestone first. And there was, it was actually like a really random person that I had met in, in Philly that had, wasn't even in startups, but she was working on her own company and, I feel like she kind of like held this mirror to me in that, in this like totally random conversation that was like, this journey is what's important. Like you need to bring people in throughout because there is no end point. It's, it's like, you're just going to keep going. You're going to have moments where you like, you, you get to celebrate and you're excited and you're proud. And there's other moments where you're, you feel alone and it feels really hard and and you have to be willing to ask for help and bring people into those, to both of those feelings. And so that really pushed me to be a lot more open with things. And, and I also really thought about myself as a founder that had never heard of these things before, had never (laughs) seen someone like me in this space. And I just thought like, whether Fiveable becomes a you know billion dollar company or or something goes wrong along the way, if I can if if I can walk through the door and hold that door open for other people to come after me, then it's worth it, right? Like it's it's the journey. Like it's whether we make it or not is not about how we then like go through the the process. You know, like there's so many other people that we can inspire along the way that we'll build things, you know, like all the students that that are in our ecosystem. I want them to see what we're doing and how and why it's hard and why it's fun because it, it helps them understand that they can do something too and that they can actually see themselves making it happen. So I guess I just feel, um, I feel like it's my responsibility to like, to, to be open about it. And, and it's, there's a lot of benefits to that too. Like, like meeting people. Yeah. And that's something I I just like created a a video recently about creating a serendipity flywheel. And when you create things on the internet and you share things on the internet, you have this serendipity flywheel. You have people have the ability to find you, whether it be partners, investors, potential hires, uh, customers, whatever, where they see that. And then as you build this serendipity flywheel of putting yourself out there and putting your story out there, more people follow along. And then the next time you put your story out there again, more people follow along and share it. And it just becomes this flyway where good things can happen to you over and over again. And that's why I kind of always encourage people to to do that, to kind of document their journey, what they're doing. Because like you said, it's, it's so inspirational, especially for people who don't know about it. And one of the blocks I've heard from people is like, well, like I'm not successful, like you said, like, but at the same time, like what level are you compared to someone else? Because like, even if you've raised your first funding, that's one step more than anyone who hasn't raised funding before, which is a lot of people. And so it, it, they can find that valuable. And that's where I enjoy sharing those types of stories uh, in interviews such as this, because I think other people see that and like, wait a minute, like, oh, like that's what I could do that too. And it makes it more real because like I said before, I, I never saw these things super early when I was growing up and like only from books when I started to read about, oh, these entrepreneurs creating businesses and then reading about venture capital and kind of seeing it more than, you know, really in person now in the last couple of years of like how people are doing it who are, you know, no different than really anyone else in many ways. They just figure it out and try to do it. So it becomes a real. So I appreciate you sharing that. And as we kind of wrap things up here, uh, what, what is the big vision for Fiveable moving forward? What's next for you guys, Amanda? 
For us, I think the big, <clears throat> the big vision, we, we come back to this all the time. Just yesterday, again, we're like in the leadership again, like what, what, what do we want out of this? <laughs> For us, it's really about, there are so many young people. Like I think about high school students, college students, like that stage of life is very, it's hard. You don't necessarily, you're trying to figure out what you want to do and you're, the access to resources is so in inequitable across the world, right? Like there's these like milestones that you're supposed to hit, but actually being able to get the support to do that is so difficult. And there's, there's constantly the like haves and the have nots. And we, we talk about education as being this like opportunity driver, right? That this is what can bridge that gap between that. But even education itself is like inaccessible for so many people. And so for us, I think the way that I see solving for that globally is by connecting students to each other, right? It's not about, it's like a decentralization of that, right? It's not about us having this content that is like amazing and is going to change everyone's life. There's a lot of content out there that's amazing that can change everyone's life. But instead, it's about like, how do we actually connect students to each other so that they can share what they have, right? There's a teacher that gave you this way to remember this concept. And, you know, that teacher's advice can now be widespread. The, there's a student that's found this like really important resource that they can share. And now they've impacted more people, uh, you know, even to the extent of like, when you go to school, a lot of times you feel like, or you are the only one who X, you're the only black student. You're the only, you, you may, you feel like you're the only student that likes, you know, this, you like to write creatively. You, you want to be a, you want to study physics and you're like, does anyone else care about this? I think in order to really support students and bridging that gap, it's about connecting students in these types of communities so that they can find each other when they're learning the same thing at the same time. And if we can do that, then I think we've found a way around some of these larger systems that are making these decisions that don't actually involve the students. And it puts the power back in the students' hands. Amanda, where can people go to learn more and connect with you as well if they'd like to? Yeah. So our website is fiveable.me and there's lots of AP content there, but there's also all of our about us and whatnot. And you know, you can find us on any social channel at Think Fiveable. Amanda, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.